be seated. We have some amazing visitors in the house this morning and uh, we are just so privileged to have them. We have Morris and Rachel and Ron and his family. Uh, they're all the way from Holland. I'm going to introduce you to them in a moment. But uh, I thought it'd be great just to hear a little bit about what God is doing in Europe. And uh, also, I thought it'd be just a great opportunity for us to uh, get our hands on them and pray for them. So that's what we want to do this morning. So Morris and Ron, do you want to come up and join me and come on either side? That would be brilliant. We are part, we are privileged to be part of a much larger family, um, part of the New Frontiers family, relational mission. And uh, Morris is one of the apostolic team who uh, lead that family that we are so privileged to be part of. And uh, Morris's focus with Rachel is very much to uh, concentrate on mainland Europe. Got a few sound things, are we okay? Yeah. Good. And uh, so I thought it'd be good to find out what's been happening. So, Morris and Rachel, good to have you here. So tell us, you're working in, in Europe. Tell us how that's been sh shaping differently this year. Yes. Um, well, anyway, uh, good morning, everyone. Yeah, go on. Go on. And, uh, <laughs> It's, uh, it's uh, wonderful to find a church open this morning, so, <laughs> uh, and uh, ours isn't, but that's another story. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, Rachel and myself, we've uh, had a bit of an adjustment over last summer. We um, changed gear as a family, and uh, we sold our house and downscaled, and Rachel left her career uh, as a very effective uh, teacher among children with special needs so that we could travel together onto the mainland of Europe. So uh, we've just gone through our first cycle. We spent three uh, months in the Netherlands. We're back for a, a month uh, resting from all of the cheese eating <laughs> that went there, and, and much else. But we had a fantastic time out there. And then we're about to go out to Germany for three months. Then we'll come back for a month. Then we'll go out to Sweden. Uh, for a couple of months back for the summer, then out to Serbia. So that will see us through that year. So it's a change of gear so that we can be on the ground and really just spend more quality time with the people that are part of the Relational Mission family but are in uh, nations of Europe. So tell us some of the, the big challenges of mainland Europe. Well, big challenges of mainland Europe. I mean, one, uh, one thing about Europe is it is obviously many, many nations, so it's, it's impossible to see a one-size-fits-all. You know, you, you sort of go, come from very sophisticated north and west and affluent, and by the time you travel east, it gets poorer and more easternized. And uh, so you can't really describe Europe in one way. If I were to just speak about the Netherlands, I mean, the Netherlands are very, very uh, capable, um, yeah, resilient. Uh, <laughs> come on, come on, come on. <laughs> and uh, self-sufficient culture. I mean, the thing about the Netherlands is it's, it should all be underwater. You know that, don't you? <laughs> I mean, it, I mean, what sort of a nation can become one of the most uh, economically effective nations in the world? But actually, in all reality, it should be underwater. I mean, Gouda or Gouda to you and me, which is where Ron comes from, is uh, I think uh, five or six meters underwater. The highest point in Gouda is the river. Now tell me, does that make any sense? Does that make any sense to you? Okay. And yet somehow this nation is able to be so creative, so productive, and so self-sufficient that they really don't need God. They've, done, they've, they've engineered him out. <laughs> they can look after themselves. So that's one of the challenges in the Netherlands. And the other would be 
the inherited traditions of, of the church, which I, you know, we would recognize this in our own nation, where people have a very distorted view of what God is like because of the way the church has presented God and presented itself. So a friend of mine went to uh, lead a worship service in a Dutch Reformed church, and he titled the, the service Joy in the Church. <laughs> and he was told he shouldn't do that. <laughs> No, we don't have joy in the church. church yeah. No, seriously, this is yoke. He was told, no. It's, church is a serious business. You know, so, you, so you've got that. And then another guy was telling me that uh, he was about to eat his sandwich, and when the, uh, the lady that was with him from the Dutch Reformed Church said, uh, you didn't pray for your sandwich. You can't eat your sandwich. You haven't prayed for your sandwich. They said, oh, I'm really sorry. You know, God bless my sandwich. And then, it started, and then she started eating some apple cake. And he said, well, you didn't pray for your apple cake. She said, well, don't be stupid. You pray for your daily bread. You don't pray for your apple cake. She said, you know, it's like, wow, this, this legalism. Oh, what are we going to do? You know? <laughs> so anyway, so these are some of the challenges that Ron and others are facing with a very self-sufficient, uh, capable nation culture, but with this uh, unhelpful presentation of what God is like and what the church is like that you're having to dismantle and overcome just to get to people's hearts with the gospel. So. Now I know you have a great vision for Europe, so tell us what you'd love to see happen in mainland Europe. Well, we want to see uh, many people saved and many churches planted, I, mean, I think that's the obvious thing. Um, but we want uh, people saved with a, a healthy gospel, you know, uh, and then we want to see healthy New Testament churches like this multiplied out whole families of churches across the nations. Now, um, uh, what that really, the engine room of this, uh, you know, it's a bit like, you know, how, you know how to drive a car, but you lift the bonnet to see how the car works. The engine room uh, for a nation like the Netherlands is we need Dutch-speaking, anointed men and women of ministry, okay? Pastors and teachers, evangelists, prophets and apostles. We need Dutch-speaking apostles and prophets are the engine room of multiplied mission. And we need Dutch-speaking apostles and prophets. Yeah. We need Dutch-speaking evangelists. And uh, Ron, if you can imagine Grantly, about 30 years younger... Uh, not that, not that long. <laughs> and speaking... <laughs> more than that, yeah. More than that, yeah. And speaking Dutch. Then we have the match. And uh, then you've got Ron, really. Because Ron is like a, sort of a, a mini Grantley in the Netherlands, you know. And, uh, but we need more like Ron and Elena, men and women of anointing and ministry, so that we can see healthy New Testament church life, word spirit, mission family, all the things that are dear to us, multiplied out across the nations of Europe. So we're looking to build model sort of prototype churches that we can then multiply and raise up um, locally led indigenous ministry that can take responsibility for its own mission really. Wonderful. Morris, how can we help? Well, what would you say? I think you're already an enormous help. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, mission and ministry is about people. It's not about agendas or uh, strategies is about it's about men and women of ministry, and I think your generous hearts in releasing uh, Grantly and Floss to serve in Europe. I've you know I've been here before and thanked you for that, and I want to thank you again for that. It's an enormous help, 
um, because they're modeling something, but also they're bringing an anointing and they're training others like Ron and others um, as they do that. So I want to thank you for that. I want to say if there's any opportunity for you to accompany Brian yeah. Floss, then go with him. He goes on, uh, uh, they go on a number of, uh, they're, do, they're running a, a school of supernatural ministry in the Netherlands with Ron at the moment. Uh, accompany them there, be their prayer support. Um, they're also taking uh, a number of opportunities around Europe to train people in supernatural ministry and uh, you can be a team, uh, a part of that. Uh, so whenever, just have a look at Grotty's diary and if you can understand it and crack the code and then see where is he <laughs> travelling to Europe with Floss and say, can I carry a badge, can I join you for that? So that I would say would be a great way to help. And then I'd like to encourage you to get behind this guy, okay? Because, you know, as a ministry is about people. And uh, I've, uh, Ron has been serving the churches in the Netherlands for a couple of years, particularly watering the ground, uh, particularly uh, with, with prayer and faith for the gospel in that nation. And I've set um, Ron the challenge next year to run four Alpha courses. Um, in, uh, three of them will be in, in towns where we are planting uh, new works. Uh, one is in a town where, where they've sent so many people out that they're a bit exhausted and they need to be re-energized mm. and rejuvenated. So mm. why not get behind Ron in praying for these? Maybe a bit of training for Ron. He's not done Alpha before. Maybe a little bit of financial investment to make sure these courses could work. And, uh, and then you could see, as a fruit of your faith, seeing people saved uh, through Ron's ministry in the Netherlands and the churches being strengthened and multiplied out there. Brilliant, Morris. Thank you. Let's give him a round of applause. You want to sit back down with your wife a minute? All right. Okay. Brilliant. We're going to pray for you both in a moment. Ron, introduce your family to us. Yes. Yeah, I would love to. Um, my wife, Elina, she's uh, over there is with my daughter, Yedi. My son is filming me, Tristan. <laughs> and my oldest son, first son, Kian, on the T-shirt it says, the man. The so man. I really like that shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell me, tell yeah. us whereabouts in in Netherlands are you? Yeah, I am uh, in uh, based in Gouda. Um, so we uh, a year ago we planted a shirt out of Reewijk into Gouda. Uh, it was a big step of faith because if you can imagine that uh, we are with 80 and then half of the church. Uh, left to Gouda had a big impact in the mother church but um, yeah where you step out in faith and God will take care of the rest uh, so uh, yeah that's so how's the church that's going? Happy. yeah that's going great uh, we um, see some growth uh, leaders uh, leadership is now this, the leadership that we had is now uh, even wider so more leaders on their place now we're going to start with discipleship groups and yeah we're ready to uh, uh, go and fish into Gouda because we always said, you know, we want to be uh, a church that there's there for the lost to reach the lost and you can easily slip into all different organizational stuff and then lose in the end what you where you came for into the city. So this is the time that we're going to fish. So the nets are strong enough now. And uh, yeah, so Brilliant. Uh, I'm looking forward to So yeah. September, we started the School of Supernatural Life. Ron uh, runs it. Uh, we just go in and do the teaching, but Ron is the guy who's running it. So tell us, what happens? 
Yeah, what happened? Uh, just during the school or a little yeah, bit? During yeah, during the school, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah during the school, yeah. Uh, a little bit of introduction because um, yeah. you have uh, a few uh, um, just um, yeah, like five churches in the Netherlands, RM churches, and they are yeah, just being church. Uh, but there need to be some new fire and uh, uh, restoration of DNA and, and the uh, yeah, what we really love to see is that the culture of the kingdom comes back into these churches Fantastic. and into the Netherlands. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, I first want to say it's so good to be here uh, because um, I did some few years lead and God uh, uh, was working uh, hard in my life just to, uh, the, the story that Morris told, I'm, I don't know but what happened, but I broke out of this traditional culture and I just came into the free world and in, into the kingdom of God and then Wonderful. wow what is this this yeah. is amazing the church has to know this so I was doing lead and then I was thinking you know this is all knowledge but what are we going to do with this you know this was the biggest question what are we going to do with this and um, I said there's no there are no examples that I can go to in the Netherlands to say okay this is beautiful teaching but what are we going to do with this and so yeah we prayed for this like God we want to see this in the Netherlands so uh, God brought us to a school in the Netherlands for a year. We could go there to the whole, with the whole family, and then I, I thought, you know, this is the, we have to have this in our own RM families. This is so necessary. And then, uh, yeah, God just brought uh, the connection with Grantley, and uh, now the School of Supernatural Life is in the Netherlands, going on. Uh, 30 people are joining yeah um we're doing activation groups um yeah we go out on the streets even now uh, we have like a yeah probably the same as the school here a whatsapp group and people are sharing testimonies yeah they are starting to do prayer walks they gonna do treasure hunts together um uh, just uh, random connections um, or relationships that are been built now in the school uh, going out on the streets and it's wonderful it's it's multiplying and brings life and uh, yeah so I'm, I'm very excited about Brilliant. what's going on at Brilliant. the moment yeah. so your vision for the future tell us then we can vision play for the future it. yeah it's what I already a little bit said like um, we want to see the, the culture of the kingdom back into the Netherlands so um, but how does that start? And uh, when uh, Grandly asked me this question, I thought the the biggest thing I think that is going on is that we are bringing the ark back into our midst. We we bringing the glory of God, His presence, back yeah. into our midst. That's the yeah. be beginning. That's the first thing we do. Out of that, we can grow into and and rebuild the, the DNA. Uh, into the churches and my my vision for the future is that every church is an is a, a church that is full of the spirit full of the presence of Come god on. and that is walking in his destiny i saw i i came uh, driving to here and i had that i saw all dead animals on next to the road and i counted them i saw a, 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 a deer is it a, a yeah, deer yeah i saw a fox I saw a rat, I saw a, um, a bird. Pheasant. Um, yeah. yeah. I saw a rabbit, um, and I saw uh, an. A yeah, and a hedgehog. Yeah. Oh. Right. yeah. <laughs> it was oh. so di diverse. 
It was really so diverse, just all dead animals. <laughs> and I was thinking, what are you saying, God? What are you showing me? Because why do I see all these different dead animals? And I was thinking, this is sometimes how it is in church. You know, people get stuck into a place and want to come over the edge. I saw the movie Over the Edge, you know. <laughs> These animals try to come into the new land. They cross the road, but they, they get knocked down. And even some parts in our life, you know, it's, it's dead, it's dry bones. And then we need the Holy Spirit to blow in again into our lives and make us alive again. Say, come on, you can do this. You can cross this road. You can come into. You can come over the edge or under it, and you come into the new area where there is fullness of life, fullness of joy, and fullness of God. Yes. So this is really my vision for the Netherlands: is that people that are stuck, people that are dry, people that you know even get stuck in these traditional things that doesn't matter it, it we cannot be stuck in that and then see the kingdom of god advance in in the netherlands you know we want to see jesus glorified in the netherlands so come on let's stand come on and let's pray <laughs> for the netherlands that the spirit and the glory of god come back into our midst that people get restored in the DNA of God in the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom, come back into our, our, our churches. And then Brilliant. we will see Jesus glorified in our nation. I, I, come on, I'm up to this. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's okay. Together okay. we are. So, <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. So, if Marcia, do you want to stand there? Okay, and you want, with your family, do you want to stand yeah. over there? Yeah. And then I, let's all stand, shall we? And then, uh, as many people from the church, just gather around them, lay hands on them, and we're going to pray for them. Do bring your children. Get them praying for them. <laughs> There's children coming forward. It'd be great for children to be praying for children. There's no junior Holy Spirit, so let's, um, let's do this. Watch it. If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn to Acts 26. We're going to get there in a moment. I'm very much wanting to look forward, though I want to uh, just uh, reiterate what Mark was saying about how we need to be thankful for all that God has done this last decade. All my grandchildren have been born this last decade. It's wonderful, absolutely wonderful, wonderful. So, so much to thank God for, but I really want to look forward and uh, I'm going to particularly be speaking on that theme of kingdom this morning and one particular aspect of it. But let me just start with a very hard-hitting quote from Alan Scott. The dream of God over your life is not that you become a believer and help out the local church. Ooh. The dream of God over your life is that you come alive in his presence and bring life to every environment, spilling contagious hope into hurting humanity. God has entrusted believers with an assignment to lead the earth into life. Wow, that sort of blows our mind as we face a new decade. I really want to speak about one aspect of how we can do that. I believe that the call on, on the church today is for any one of us, at any time, anywhere, to bring the life of Jesus to a sin-sick humanity. Amen. 
Now, this year, we as uh, elders have been working very hard at uh, defining and explaining our values, what we consider to be our hopes values. And the values of a family will dictate the shape of it and will hugely influence its culture. And so we've spent a great deal of time looking at these values. The cross has paid it all. The Bible is our final authority. God calls us to a glorious family, his family, that we are this wonderful identity of royal sons and daughters of the heavenly king, that we are people who are here to always be advanced in the kingdom. We are passionate after God's presence, and we believe that our natural way of living is supernatural. There are values, and we've spent a lot of time defining them, and we've spent a lot of time explaining them to you this year. And we will continue to do that, because we do not want to in any way be uh, deflected from those core values and from our culture. But it's one of those I want to particularly look at uh, this morning, and that is advancing the kingdom. It seems like the the Holy Spirit has this practice where he emphasizes, he highlights, he he, um, expands a particular area of doctrine or truth, maybe because we've been overlooking it, maybe because we haven't appropriately emphasized and focused on it. And it seems at the moment that this is a key element. It's interesting that Ron spoke much about advancing the kingdom and the gospel of the kingdom. So, that's what I want to briefly look at in one aspect of that. In one commission of scripture, this is what it says. He commands us to preach the gospel of the kingdom to all creation. Now, that is not a typo. That's not a mistake. God wants everything to be restored. The world isn't as it should be, and the gospel of the kingdom is the answer to those things that are not right. Why? Because the blood of Jesus was enough to cover the whole cause and effect of sin on all of creation. Isn't that true? The cross is sufficient and can restore all things. Now you will know, because we've taught you this, that in Genesis 1, man was given an extraordinary mandate to take hold of this earth and shape it as if God was ruling and reigning in all aspects of life on earth. Earth. And what's more, he gave us the authority, the power to do such a thing. We are to take God's way of doing work, family, education, economics, manufacturing, caring and healing, entertaining, politics, design, and the environment. God's ways to the whole of creation. Is that a big enough vision for you? We're not here to sort of call people out of the workplace. We are here to call people into the workplace where they take God's kingdom, rule and reign to every dimension of society. So that's just a recap on our value of the kingdom advance, the gospel of the kingdom.
But I just want to point this out, and this is what I want to concentrate on this morning. That in broadening and expanding the vision, there is a danger. There is a danger. And I want to look at that danger and how to rectify that danger. And now we're going to look at Scripture. So Acts 26. Let me explain the situation. Paul, the apostle, has been um, captured and imprisoned. He's in Caesarea. And he has appealed as a Roman citizen to not be tried by the Jews in Jerusalem, but to go to Rome and get the justice of Rome as a Roman citizen. But before he gets there, he is um, interviewed, he is questioned by King Agrippa and his wife Bernice, and um, he explains his story, how he got saved, and what has God called him to. And so we get to the story where uh, Paul is just explaining that he's met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and we pick the story up at verse 15. This is Paul speaking to Jesus on that road. Who are you, Lord? I asked. And the Lord replied, I am Jesus. The one you are persecuting. Now, get to your feet, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. Tell people that you've seen me, and tell them what I will show you in the future. And I will rescue you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I am sending you to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they will receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. And so, King Agrippa, I obeyed that vision from heaven. I preached first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that all must repent of their sins, turn to God, and prove they have changed by the good things that they do. So Paul's not only describing how he became a Christian, he's now describing what his mission was, which was not just unique to an apostle. I believe what Paul was explaining was, what is our mission? What is our mission? What is it the core? What is it the center of expanding God's kingdom? And Paul clearly says this, that it's the making of disciples. It's turning people from their rebellion and sin into obedience to Christ that is paramount in the expansion of God's kingdom. Many times it's recorded that Paul proclaimed the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom. But how did it shape out? Paul said, I've chosen to know nothing other than the cross. Jesus crucified and a call for sinners to repent to turn around their rebellious lives and to follow him in obedience. The primary way the kingdom of God advances is through people being saved. And in expanding the vision we can forget that that is at the core 
of the mission expansion. So let me say this. The greatest way the kingdom of God advances, the wonderful way the redemptive rule of God is extended, is when we bring another sinner to renounce their sin and self-righteousness and bow his knee to King Jesus. That's what we're about. And we have a decade unfolding that I dare to dream could be an extraordinary decade of evangelism. Like we've never seen it before. I don't know about you, but I hate empty chairs. I hate them. There's far too many in this room. Far too many. I want every one of these chairs to be filled. I want there to be a queue to come in. I want there to be utter chaos on the street outside because there's too many cars to get into our car park. And then I won't be satisfied because God has a banquet and he opens the door for all to be saved. I don't know if you remember the advert, but it was an advert of a Mercedes-Benz car that was careered into a block of concrete. And what was remarkable is that they invented this crumple zone to keep passengers safe. It was an amazing invention. But what was staggering is that they decided not to patent it. Other manufacturers copied it. And it, was, it didn't make any economic sense whatsoever. So why should they do it? So somebody asked the top man at Mercedes-Benz, why did they not patent it? And this is what they said. Because some things in life are too important not to share. Some things in life are too important not to share. You know, this place is buzzing with people day in, day out. We provide for their social needs, for so many aspects of the community's needs are met in this building. But do you know what the people need? First and foremost, they need to know God's forgiveness. They need to know that they are sinners, separated from God. They need to know that there is a grace that woos them back. There are some things that are just too good. We can't keep them to ourselves. We've got to share them. So I want to just very briefly talk about three lies that I believe the enemy has spoken to us that stops us speaking up and speaking out so that people can find Christ for themselves and become devoted followers of him. Three simple things. I'm sure you can identify with these. We'll do these really quickly. First one is this. People aren't interested. Why should we go and tell them the good news of the gospel? They're not interested. <coughs> is that true? I don't think so. There's a great quote from Rico Tice, who was responsible for um, Christianity Explored course, a great course. This is what he says. There is increasing hostility in some quarters to the gospel message, but there is something else going on too. There is also increased hunger. The same rising tide of secularism and materialism that rejects truth 
truth claims and is offended by absolute moral standards is proving to be an empty and hollow way to live. <laughs> You're more and more likely to find people quietly hungering for the content of the gospel, even as our culture teaches them that, that to be hostile towards it. People are hungry for it. The more and more I go out on the streets, I'm sure Ron can say this too, the more and more we engage people, you know what we find? People need answers to life. And society and politics and economics is not providing it. Young people are more confused and in more anxiety than they've ever been. They need the gospel. There's a hunger for it. There's always been an excuse against it. This is John 4. Jesus speaking to his disciples who returned to him after he's led a woman at the well to Christ and affected a whole village. Jesus said to them, My food is not to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months that comes before the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Do you see them? Do you see them? When you walk around busy Wyndham on a market day, do you see them? There are people there who are hungry for the gospel. Let me put it this way. Why are you here? Were you likely people for the gospel? I guess most of you weren't. Most unlikely people for the gospel. Let God reach you. And how did God reach you? I guess most of you were reached by somebody else sharing the gospel with you. We are the fields white under harvest. We've already been harvested. If God could save you lot, can I say that graciously? If God could save you lot... He could save anybody. Isn't that true? Just think about it. I grew up in the back of a betting shop. All I knew was gambling. It's what my father was into. I was the most unlikely person to ever come to Christ because I never went to church. And yet God had a way of reaching me. The fields are white and to harvest. Look at this other passage. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him into every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So, as far as Jesus is concerned, there is no problem with harvest. There's only problem with lack of workers. Wow. I gave a quote to you from um, Alan Scott. <coughs> he was one day convinced that what God said in those, in those scriptures was true. There was a harvest to be had. His experience was this. He was the church was about this size in, in, um, uh, in Ireland, a Causeway Vineyard he led. And uh, they would see one or two people saved on their Alpha courses. They run like us, three Alpha courses a year. One or two people saved. That would be the total of their salvation. 
But then God spoke to him about the fields being white unto harvest. So he thought, I'm going to see if this is really true. So he stopped everything in the church that wasn't outward focused. I mean, people couldn't understand it. People thought he was crazy. He said, we're going to give ourselves to mission. And what's more, he stood up on the platform and he said this, this year we're going to see a hundred people saved. A hundred people saved. They were seeing three, four, five a year. So they just went out of their building and into the world. And they just shared the good news of Jesus. Because if God said there's a harvest, we're going to believe him, we're going to go. At the end of the year, they had seen over a hundred saved. Over a hundred saved. Wow. Staggering. Because they realized that advancing the kingdom is sharing the gospel. I love Band of Brothers. It's a bit bloody, but I love watching it. Um, this amazing story of this uh, airborne ranger. And um, one of the soldiers says this to his commanding officer. Sir, the enemy are on every side of us. We're surrounded by the enemy. And his commander replies, you are airborne rangers. You are meant to be surrounded by the enemy. You are meant to be surrounded by those who do not believe because actually you are their good news. You are the laborer in the field and you are the one that will harvest. Wow. Secondly, another lie of the enemy. I'm not gifted. So all right for you, Grantley. You're a bit of an extrovert. You can talk to anybody, but I can't. I'm just not like that. So there was this Christian camp. And high school kids can be really cruel sometimes. And there was a lad called Billy who um, had been brain damaged when he was being born. He walked with a, with a sl sort of sliding action. And when he spoke, he stuttered and he slurred. And they mocked him terribly. During the week, it was the responsibility of each cabin to share morning devotions. And it was Billy's cabin's turn. And they asked Billy to do it because they wanted to mock him. But Billy was thrilled that he'd been asked. It, the person who writes the story says that I was one of the teachers there and I wanted to stop. But Billy insisted. So Billy came up and he took an inordinate amount of time to slither his way down the aisle and stand on the platform. And then he spoke these words. He took again an inordinate amount of time to say it, but he just said this. Jesus loves me. And I love Jesus. The teacher said, I looked around the room and tears were flowing down people's faces. The Holy Spirit took his feeble, fumble words and brought conviction. He said, we had gifted speakers, we had Christian celebrities come. He said, nobody saw a harvest like Billy did. 
He said, in fact, I regularly meet people who say that that was the greatest camp they ever went on and that their lives were transformed by Billy. Now just look at yourself. You have far more going for you, seemingly, than little Billy. You can do this. It's a lie of the enemy that you can't. Let me tell you an example of just how that thinking is wrong and how it can be changed. But I'll give you an example first. I read this true story about pelicans. You never thought you'd get educated about pelicans, but here's a pelican. And in one part of um, California, the pelicans got rather lazy. They got lazy because the fishermen would come, get their fish, throw the, the, the bits of the head and the tail to the pelicans, and the pelicans would eat their fill. And they did this for months and months and months and months, to the point that they got so lazy they never went fishing. But then the fishermen discovered that they could sell all the, uh, all the guts and things of the fish to a factory nearby. So they didn't have any of the leftovers to throw to the pelicans. So guess what happened to the pelicans? They got thinner and thinner and were on the point of death because they'd forgotten how to fish. So environmentalists came up with an ingenious plan. Do you know what they did? They grabbed out of some pelicans who were fishing in another part of California, shipped them all the way over to the beach where they, those pelicans were, and introduced them so they could see how you fish. And they saved those pelicans. They saved those pelicans. So, why do I share that story? Because we have a, a lady here called Sarah Mackenzie. And she could not fish. She could not fish. She was scared. She was hesitant. She could not share the gospel with anyone. But what did she do? She joined the Alpha team. Got surrounded by people who know how to fish. And now she's one of the best inviters of people to the Alpha course. So if you've got out of the habit of fishing, this is what I want you to do and prepare yourself for the next decade and it's this. Just get alongside those who are fishing and you will soon learn how to fish. Finally, this other lie of the enemy. If I go, nothing will happen. If I share Jesus with people, nothing will happen. I love the words. It's true words of a, a, an archbishop in the Church of England. This is what they, he said. How is it that whenever Paul the Apostle, wherever he went, there was either a riot or revival? But wherever I go, they simply serve cucumber sandwiches and tea. <laughs> What's your expectation? We know Nyan Bevan uh, for the National Health Service. He played a huge part in what we love so much now as our National Health Service. But he was in a meeting with a dispute with managers and unions. And when he came out of the meeting, there were tears in his eyes. And this is what he said. I am heartbroken by the porpoisy of their expectation. See, if we go out into the world expecting nothing, guess what happens? Not much. 
But if we go out with the expectation that there are hungry people that are just ready for harvest, guess what happens? Amazing things take place. Expectation. Or authority is another one. This is Matthew 28. You know these words, I'm sure, well. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. The context of authority is the commission. The great commission. You have most authority when you go. And your authority will grow as you go. Wesley stumbled upon this great kingdom truth. When the church turns its face outwards, the kingdom comes in power. David said this in one of his psalms. Great words. What is man that he's mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. You have all authority. So the same authority that keeps the universe into being, God gives to you because he wants to co-labor with you. You have authority. Can we go to the last slide? Is that possible? There we go. Let me finish with this story. As part of the uh, curriculum for a GCSE in religious, religious studies at this time, a class of students had to go and experience a um, church service of some description and write a report on it. So the teacher who was a Christian took a class full of pupils to an event they would never forget. It was to a Billy Graham crusade meeting. They weren't expecting it. And as a result of that, four young people from that class left their chairs, came to the front, gave their lives to Jesus with tears pouring down their eyes. When they went back to their school, they said, we want, to, we want our pupils, our fellow pupils, to experience what we've experienced, so we're going to start a Christian club in the school. So they arranged the program, they printed it off, they gave it to every pupil. There were about 600 pupils in the school. At the first meeting, they were staggered. Over 400 pupils attended. Over 400. What was staggering is that it began to ripple into every dimension of that school. You know, pupils would be eager for a lesson to end, not because they weren't interested in being educated, but because during the breaks they could be prayed for to find salvation, and many were being prayed for to be baptised in the Spirit, and those four people were doing all of that. There was an incident where there was, there was a football t match between two houses, and during the middle of the football match, Stephen was in defence. He came under such conviction, he literally went on his knees in the middle of the football match and gave his life to Jesus. In that school, they regularly, weekly, had a prayer meeting where over a hundred pupils prayed. 
what authority? What's more, those four thought they could do more than that. Why don't we put something on for parents? So they did. Once a year, they put on this event for parents. They hired the grammar school auditorium because they could get 1,200 in that. It was packed out every time. And every time the Christian celebrity would share the gospel, they came under the sound of the gospel because four young pupils who hardly knew anything about the gospel believed they could make a difference. The school actually got on national television. Not because of its academic results, but because of the revival that broke out in the school. They said it was just the most extraordinary atmosphere that took place. So these were pupils, what, 14, 15 years of age. Why do I know that story? I was one of the pupils. I was one of the four. We can make a difference if we go. And the kingdom of God commands us to go. And I want to dare to say to you, could we see a hundred saved this coming year? Sounds like a good target to aim at. If we go. The harvest is ready. The lies of the enemy are just that. If we go, we will find a harvest to be enjoyed. Let's pray. Then we'll have our notices. Father, I want to thank you for everybody who shared the gospel with the people in this room that meant that they are here in this room today. I want to thank you for their courage and boldness, their belief, their sense of expectation that you would use their words for the salvation of others. And I pray that we would do the same likewise. That our passion will be for the lost. That we will be bold in declaring the truth. And that we will be eager to lead people to Christ because there's no greater way that the kingdom advances than through one sinner who repents Jesus <coughs> and I just want to while we're praying I just want to give this opportunity if there's somebody here you just have never ever given your life to Jesus and yet you have felt conviction this morning then can I just encourage you to do that right now? Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Pledge your allegiance to his lordship over your life and follow him. Just do it right now, where you are. He welcomes you home. His grace is sufficient. So I pray for anybody turning to you right now, Lord Jesus, that you will fill them with your spirit, you just bring glorious forgiveness to their lives in the beautiful name of Jesus. <coughs> Amen.